welcome to For All Mumkind, the podcast, a podcast by mums for mums. My name is Pamela and in each episode I sit down and chat with a mum about motherhood, the ups and downs and everything in between. Today's guest is an emergency medicine doctor, a mad Mayo fan and a mum to Cahill, Cúin and Fela. It's Lisa Cunningham Guntry. Hello Lisa! Hi Pamela, how are you? I'm you good! You with the name. <laughs> how are you keeping, how are things in Mayo? Great, fantastic. Um, we're on our mission now for the All-Ireland Football Final, you know, in August, <laughs> end of August this year. Yeah, it's only February, but we're on our way. <laughs> and obviously being from Kerry, um, there's, good, there's a good rivalry between the two. I'm sorry now that, you know, we had to take the title off you last year, just in case you didn't realise it was a national oh. league title. <laughs> actually, you can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, that was Bella's first time in Crow Park was actually uh, for that. Stop. Yeah, she was only a few weeks old. I think she was only about six or seven weeks. And uh, I had a niece as well up with me as well. So it was her first time in Crow Park too. So oh, it was great. Amazing. And it was on Mother's Day as well. They're like your <laughs> lucky charms. Yes. So I just have to get to it all out of final again and bring Grace and Fela with me. So Lisa, talking about Fela, um, she's your youngest. She um, is. So to bring you back a couple of years to your pregnancies really and as I said you're a medicine you're an emergency medicine doctor so you're yeah. working in a busy hospitals and being pregnant I mean we have a ten- obviously you have a tendency to look after yourself mind yourself and eat well and sleep yeah. well and drink how do you manage that with such a demanding job um I think with it is for the pregnancies part of it I actually let my employers know quite early on I let my consultants know that everybody else know that I was pregnant from it early on with Cahal, Kuana, with Fela, um, I didn't hide it because I did not want to do certain things that would put me at risk. Uh, for example, like coming in to see patients with rashes, etc. Even though you know you get exposed to everything in the emergency department, I had one episode where I was exposed to measles with Kuana at an early stage that really frightened me for about a week. Um, you know, so things like that I've kind of learned. You know, put myself first. I'm the person that needs to be put first rather than, you know, the department itself. So I've let the guys know pretty early on with it. And then just trying to keep myself healthy. I find being on my feet a good bit and walking and, you know, doing all my bits and pieces in the emergency department really just keeps me going. I never found any difficulty. I was very lucky. I never found any difficulty, especially towards the end as well. Um, I kept fit throughout the pregnancy as well, ate well. And then just towards the end, I think I went off normally around 36 weeks on maternity leave. So I didn't... Thankfully, I didn't have to take sick leave to go into my maternity leave, if you get me. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, four weeks before the due date is when I decided to come off to come from an emergency department, which at that point, if you can imagine, 36 weeks going around an emergency department. My last one with Fela was in Limerick. And that is, you know, consistently the busiest, most overcrowded department in the country. And that was pretty hectic. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. So obviously, look, your background is medicine. You're trained in medicine, qualified in medicine. Um, and I'm presuming your peers would be quite surprised that you chose with Fela to have a home birth. Oh, I, <laughs> some of them wouldn't really talk to me about it. I have a really good friend, Sarah, who is an obstetrics and gynecology SPR. And we just couldn't really talk about my pregnancy with Fela because of my decision to go for a home birth. And, you know, a lot of the times with the doctors, it's because of fear and it's because of the fear of what we see yeah. either in emergency medicine or in obstetrics and gynecology. I had also trained in paediatrics. We had to do that as part of our rotation. So you would see, 
you know, quite bad stuff, unfortunately, that would happen. But again, that's only snapshots of the actual general population. You know, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be for every pregnancy that would end up needing the NICU unit or the SCABOO unit or needing assistance by the paediatric doctors. So I think as doctors, we're very skewed in that view. Yeah. And not realising that, well, actually, pregnancy is a normal state you know people go through it for thousands of years and um, the interventions of course have helped to save lives and save babies but it does not mean that everybody has to have it so my decision to have the home birth actually was probably not long after I had Kuan who's now four and I was talking with one of my really good friends Laura Carr who's a midwife and she ended up delivering the babies she's went through her midwifery here in Ireland. She went abroad to England to do an awful lot of home births and uh, community midwifery. And she's in the Order of Malta with us here in the, in the Ballinai area. So we, we'd always be in contact. And I started off chatting with her going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. That's ridiculous doing home births. And then when she actually put the evidence in front of me, I kind of talked about it with me. I was like, oh gosh, I, I never realized that it could have been as safe as it was. I was very skewed in the mind of going, well, you know, all births have to have some sort of an intervention, etc. Um, so we actually talked about it not long after Kuan was born. I said, hmm, maybe I think about it after, you know, if we go again, and which we all would we knew that we we're going to go again anyways. <laughs> but um, so I had that decision kind of made before Fela was even conceived. Um then when we were going down that route, Bernard, the husband, just said to me, Whatever you want yourself, Lisa, you know it best. And he always like every good man just goes along with things like that but Laura we've known Laura for years who's the midwife and like it was just it was fantastic she the three things I was most worried about was one was the pain yeah um and I'd had epidurals with the boys um so I was kind of a little bit worried about that but you can have the gas and air the other thing with the pain is that I found the water hugely um great for pain relief in my first two deliveries but unfortunately, you're not allowed to stay in the water. I wasn't allowed to stay in the water because my waters had gone for more than 24 hours with Kuan. So after literally three centimetres, I was whipped out and, you know, went to the labour ward, um, which I really enjoyed being in the water going around. So I kind of felt that was taken away from me a little bit. Yeah. So you're allowed to have the water. You're allowed to have uh, the gas and air as well. So I was like, do you know what? I'll do it. And with Kuan as well, I had been just been given my epidural I mean the needle had literally just come out of my back and I delivered him within five minutes and I always remember with Kuan sitting there feeling I needed to push and be and tell him Bernard tell him the anaesthetist tell him the midwife and be told no no it's not it's not time yet it's not time yet and that was probably one of the other triggers that made me think about a home birth because I knew my body this was the second time round I knew I wanted to push so yeah. when I lay back down again the niece has got an awful fright uh, because the head was there ready to go <laughs> so pain was definitely one of my big things but that yeah. was kind of you know ticked for Laura she was saying no it's fine the second thing was uh, the mess I was yes. thinking you know Absol- yeah. <laughs> you go through an awful lot of a messy process in the in, I was going to say in the emergency department you do that too but in uh, the labour ward so Laura was convincing me to say that you know actually and there is evidence to show that mothers who birth at home or with community midwives actually have less of a blood loss less of a you know, less of a mess basically because I remember standing after going out in the shower and seeing the amount of blood and thinking I've seen less on a trauma floor and I this is coming out of me and I'm still standing how is this happening so I was kind yeah. of conscious about that um and Laura reassured me with that um and then the third thing was kind of you know if anything does go wrong um 
I didn't realise at the time, but Laura is probably even better trained than some of the paediatric SHOs who are literally given the bleep on day one and have to attend to emergency sections, etc. with babies who may need assistance. Laura is so well prepared, and all the midwives are so well prepared with uh, PA, so paediatric advanced life support and all that sort of, she's all the equipment there. I literally live two minutes away from the hospital here in Ballina. Uh, I have a very good relationship with the pre-hospital guys as well as the ambulances. So they're always put on standby for a community home birth as well. So that kind of side of it was also alleviated as well. So my three fears were ticked and I was like, okay, yeah. let's go for it then. I was really surprised that you could have, um, when I was listening to you before talking about your home birth, about the gas and air. Because mm-hmm. I suppose you'd have just this presumption that you're kind of on your own. Possibly you'd have... Um, you know, the the water birth, if that was available. But I never thought you'd be able to get the gas and air because, yeah, it just never yeah. came into my head. Which I suppose once you had that, I mean, I predominantly got through Alice with just gas and air. I was, yes, I was absolutely off my rocker by the end of it. <laughs> but like, it's amazing. And it was funny, actually, towards the very end, um, I had forgotten that I had the gas and air. I had ordered two cylinders to make <laughs> sure that I would not have no pain relief or I wouldn't have any pain. But at the very end, um, the birth just went very quickly. It was it was amazing. It was fantastic that it was kind of at the very end that I was like, I, I think I need to push Laura. And I was like, do I, oh, sugar, the gas and air. Will somebody get me the gas and air? So I got five puffs of the first cylinder and then <laughs> she delivered. So like <laughs> it didn't actually make any difference. And I remember being on my hands, sorry, being on my knees kind of, crouching over the edge of the couch and I had the gas there the nozzle in my mouth and it fell onto the floor and I remember just thinking at that moment in time when I might as well have been down in Australia because there was no hope that I would <laughs> take my hands off the cushion to go down and get it and you know she was just she delivered it was it was great like I didn't really need it but I, the water definitely helped me right up until that point. You did try in advance to try hypnobirthing. Yeah. And I, I, I tried um, as well and I had the book and I had the app but I kind of felt maybe I left it too late in my pregnancy to train myself but it yeah I just didn't I knew once I started trying I was like this just isn't for me it's not for me yeah and even though I, I really believe in mindfulness and training your mind and a positive mindset absolutely I just was like no I just don't think I, I was the exact same. <laughs> yeah, and I have a really busy mind, so I don't know, Is was it that? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would love to have for it to have worked, but I just knew in my heart, I was like, this this isn't going to work. And you're kind of trying to force yourself, because I remember the Gentle Birth app, I actually got it free with my insurance, so they paid for it to download it, etc. So, you know, being in the bath, and I'm, I love baths, I literally, I would stay in there so often. But being there, you're like, okay, Lisa, concentrate concentrate now on concentrating about nothing concentrate and I couldn't do it I just was not able to do it to focus my mind look at the lovely fluffy clouds etc because I'd always be thinking about something else however what I did actually end up doing which was kind of more unbeknownst to me but it happened with Cahill and Kuan and with Fela is that you, you do sort of a, like a visualization and for whatever reason during Cahill's labor the poem Mishirafri on Phila, I don't know if you know it, and this Chakdanarig me and Long Nulkhanini, if you learned that in primary school. For whatever reason, that popped into my head. And I reiterated that first verse of it, 
and I could see where it was written out in my national school up on the wall and I just looked I focused my mind on looking at each single line and getting through each single line and it got me through every contraction and the exact same thing happened with Kuana Fela so it's kind of like a visualization of a bit of an odd sort <laughs> <laughs> but it worked for me um yeah um uh, again I had heard you talk about that visualization and do you know what it actually brought me back to my own labor because something I totally forgot was at the very end with Alice um the nurse is like do you want to touch her the midwife was like would you like to touch her head I was horrified and I was like no <laughs> um she uh she's like okay now this is it like and I remember just thinking, okay, Pamela, this is going to be the worst part of it. So I remember closing my eyes and actually visualizing Alice really, really clearly and thinking, this is it, just go, just push now and this is, you know, it's all over. But I totally forgotten that memory until you talked about the kind of visualization that kind of goes on during labor. And I was like, that's so weird to have had it and forgotten it. And then it came back again. It was really, really weird because towards the very end as well before I delivered Laura said more or less the same thing to me because I had only had two hours of labour and then it was ready to push and I was I I didn't believe it because the other labours had taken about 10 hours to go from 3 to 10 (laughs) centimetres and she said to me the exact same thing do you want to feel the head I was like surely the head isn't there and she was like just feel down and when I felt the head I was like I'm 10 centimetres then Laura and she was like Yes, Lacey, you're ready to push. And she goes, now what you need to do is you need to close your eyes and just think about what's going to happen next. I closed my eyes. Now, I'll never forget, I was on the floor. The Dublin and Kerry match was being played on the TV in front of us. And I could see the players. And as soon as I closed my eyes, though, I got the most unreal vision. And it was like all I could describe was from a science book that you see that side cut of a baby coming down. You know, that thing that you'd see in your biology book. And yes. I was visualising her crowning and coming out but like I shut up because I was just looking at the TV and the players were still on the TV so when I closed my eyes that vision just literally absolutely burst in front of my eyes and I actually got such a fright that I said to Laura I was like what sort of voodoo are you doing here because that is so freaky and I'm very much science evidence based and everything that happened that evening was just so innate so natural that I go this it was freaky it was just I knew when I was ready to push I knew when I could feel everything in my in my body I was upstairs having a bath at one stage just before I was delivering her and I my sounds obviously changed because Laura came up and said it to me and she's like are you okay I was like yeah I think you know I think I might go downstairs now to the cold cold floor in the kitchen and she told me afterwards that the sounds of the say grunts yeah. of a neighbour changing yes. she was able to kind of tick the boxes as she was going along which I had no idea that that would happen and I just thought it was really interesting for a medical scientific person that is very much about this is the pathway that we have to go etc etc to be left kind of in a, such a physiological state that I'm going whoa that was just it was brilliant. That's kind of in the transitioning they say that isn't it um, cause I remember the being moved from I don't I kind of suppose in my head I call it like the triage area of the labor ward to the la- to the delivering suite and I remember um the midwife saying to me do you want to go into the bathroom and I was like no I really don't like I, this child is coming um <laughs> and I remember her them going no you'd feel so much better if you just go into the bathroom and I was like can I bring the gas and air with me and they were like yeah yeah yeah, yeah sure 
And I don't think they realised how far on I had, as a first time mum, I had actually gone. Yeah. Um, because it, it, like my labour was very fast and it wasn't until I went in there and I will never forget the sound that came out of me. <laughs> I remember just thinking, this is actually the most animalistic. Yes. Like it came from like deep within. <laughs> like I know exactly and what And I was saying. like, I was kind of, I was like, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God. And I just felt... I felt Probably like a typical Irish girl. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about yeah. that. Sorry. <laughs> and I remember Ben was being there and I was just kind of like, am I being left here? Is this... Is like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, that really, that noise is... It yeah. really did. Like, it it's actually... It's really yeah, primal. It's really primal. It's, yeah, it's... You can't just imagine it. It's just bizarre. And then when I... Like that, when they heard that noise, I can't even say it was me because I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> They actually kind of, they kind of looked at me and went, ah, oh, this girl is way further on. Yeah. Um, and Laura would say that. She'd say, you can hear the changes. Yeah. You can see the changes. Is it, there's also a line at the back of your bum uh, that actually extends up. Now, Laura has actually, t- I allowed her to take pictures, I didn't mind, um, of this. I can't think for the life of me the, the name of the line. But even if you just Google line labour bum, it comes up and actually it shows there's an actual correlation between centimetres of dilation through this line coming up just above your bum. Um, and she was able to say, show that to me in the bath. And I was like, she was taking pictures and showing me in between the contractions, etc. But when I came downstairs, I remember like everything I remember about that evening, Mayo and Cavill, sorry, were also playing on the Midwest radio. Evan Regan scored a goal. My husband was up and down the stairs kind of telling me the, the scores of the matches. But I was thinking, right, okay, I need to go downstairs now. And I wanted to go on all fours in the cold floor of the kitchen. For some reason, don't know why. And I remember being on all fours and putting my head against the door, just kind of feeling I needed it like a counter pressure. Yeah. And I remember looking into the sitting room, Bernard and Laura were watching the match. And I was, all I could see was the grapes and cheese. And I was like, you know, somebody get me the grapes and cheese. And Bernard comes over with the little, you know, table and puts it in front of me while not taking his eyes off the bat. <laughs> leaves it down and kind of walks back over again. I was like, I feel like a dog that I'm just munching here on all fours, like the grapes and the cheese. And then I just knew, no, gas and air. I'm ready to go here. And um, that was it. It was great. Another thing that Laura actually was saying to me as well, which I found very, very interesting was, for delivering the placenta, now I had the water pool upstairs as well, ready to go, except I hadn't had time to fill it because I didn't feel that I was as further along as I was until it came on me. Um, so we had a filled for the placenta, for the delivery of the placenta. So we done the delayed corticampine, so we delayed the time until, you know, the pulsations had stopped, it had went white, etc. And um, when we went upstairs then, I went into the pool with Fela and waiting for the placenta to deliver. Cahal had actually came up as well. He's he was five at the time or whatever. He wanted to be there when Fela was born, but he it was just after half eight, so he actually fell asleep. But he wanted us to wake him up. So Cahal was in the room, Bernard was in the room, Laura was in the room, and I was in the pool, trying to kind of deliver my placenta. I was getting a few of the contractions as you're going to deliver, but I just said to Laura, I, I, I just don't feel like I'm ready to deliver it. I don't know why. Like and it was coming up on the hour which you kind of need to normally start delivering it by, and she said do you know what we'll do? Pop into the bathroom, I'll put a bowl into the toilet and we'll see how it goes there. Give me Fela. So she took Fela, off I went into the bathroom. She hadn't even closed the door and the placenta just slid out. And she said to me that it was a thing that they had seen quite regularly in the uh, in the community delivery or the home births was that women needed more or less to be on their own for delivering the placenta. That it was a very primal 
uh, private thing for the women. So when she saw that, she, like she had not even closed the door, yeah. I just lit out, and I was kind of trying for that hour beforehand. But everybody was around me, so it was really interesting. And I had, no, I swear, it wasn't even a patch of blood that I had. I remember being in the shower afterwards, going, "This is great." Fresh sheets to go on to as well in bed, <laughs> and a Chinese afterwards as well. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Um, your own bed. I can only imagine actually how nice that would have been after having a baby. That would be like the ideal. Yeah, with fresh bed sheets. Yeah. That was, like you know, washed with the lovely comfort that was ready to go. Bird put them on when I was kind of in early labour, and because we knew it was going to be that night. So, oh, it's just lovely. Because I remember saying to Ben, I wanted. Um, I was like, when I come home, there's one bed linen set we have. It's like a blue and white one, but it's really soft and kind of like smooth and kind of a cool you know it's a cool yeah. texture to it and I was like when we come home will you make sure that's on the bed for me um <laughs> it's so funny the things that we kind of I don't know that you kind of it's just the comfort the comfort yeah those yeah. home comforts yeah. um and then the three babies they were all breastfed yeah. um did you with each of them obviously you know you would imagine as you you know one two and three that you would have had more experience as you went along did you have any do you face any challenges with one over the other or um i kuwan actually had a bit of tongue tied i remember her i was listening to the podcast earlier on as well um i think it was amy that was saying as well she had uh, a struggle with the tongue tie oh um, yeah i would say though with kahal kahal was born he's the first one he was born on the 22nd of december i was out on the 23rd of december and i remember being costed ballet on the 24th of december but coming home because my public health nurse was coming to me. Um, so he was only two days old. I had started the breastfeeding, uh, but I knew I was kind of going to struggle a little bit. Edna Garrick has been in my public health nurse, and I will just say she is just amazing for the breastfeeding. She happens to be also a lactation consultant. She stayed with me for two hours on Christmas Eve, showed me loads of different moves, loads of different maneuvers to do, uh, warned me about the breast milk coming in. Even though I'm a doctor, this is all way new territory for me. This, like you don't, you don't experience this. You don't really read about it that much in medical books. So on Christmas Day, milk came in. I was at my mother-in-law's house. Etna texted me twice on Christmas Day to help me with kind of things to do and manoeuvres to do to try and help with my milk supply. She was off on Stephen's Day, but she gave me a number for a public health nurse that would be able to assist me if I needed it. And she was back out to me the day after Stephen's Day. So I would just say that that really helped me yeah. and set me on such a good path with Cahill that it really helped me throughout the rest. Now, she also does the breastfeeding groups here in Ballina, which is just five minute walk down the street for me. So that was really good, got into the swing of things with that there. Kuan then, I could see straight away when he was born, even though he latched really, really well and everything was fine with him. He had like a forked tongue, <laughs> like, and he really? still has that little lizard tongue, yeah. Um, he was born in the February, so I, I I would be friendly enough with one of the ENT consultants down in Sligo um, and I just gave him a quick text and I said is there any chance that you'd have a look because there was that kind of uh, standoff kind of between paediatrics to say well look you don't really need to get it done yet you know we wait watch and wait see how things go with feeding see how things go with speech etc um, you know at, at two or three years of age and if it needs to be done it needs to be done then but I just I went down to Marcus and I, you know, and I was just saying, we'd just have a look at it. And he was telling me a few bits and pieces about it. Like, obviously he's a surgeon, so he wanted to do the procedure, which we got done at like day two anyways. But a few of the things that he was saying about the tongue tie, now with Kuan, he definitely was finding it hard to extend out his tongue to latch, if you get me. Even though I was having 
no problems really with the feeding but when I had it done I noticed a huge change in the feeding but it probably would have gotten worse over the few days yeah um the other thing he was saying is it's about for when they're growing up and they're getting their teeth having the tongue to be able to extend up towards the back of the teeth that helps with the cleaning of the teeth so that's all part and parcel of like dental hygiene as well and uh, one of the last things I remember him saying to me is that he won't be able to extend out his tongue so he'd be the child of the playground that won't be able to lick an ice cream properly and oh. ice cream on his nose the whole time so I was like do it just do it uh, but we had it done it was literally a 15 second job and it was done and dusted and it actually did change a good bit of the feeding even though I didn't realise it um, at that time uh, sorry fed Cahill for a year Kuan was for nine months or just under the nine months because I actually had to move to Dublin then so the kiddies stayed at home I moved to Dublin to Crumlin for my next rotation and then with Fela I fed her for uh, I fed her after I went back to work it was just under the eight months actually because I was pumping a good bit and trying to feed at night time that's amazing um yeah Alice had a tongue tie had a, had amazing a lactation consultant that came to the house and checked it um even though the latch was good, you know, according to everyone that looked at it, but she just wasn't getting the milk. Um, and for us, it was at the time. Now, things have changed. and There's actually more places in Kerry that you can get tongue tie release. We had to go to Clamel. Um, oh, yes, I heard you say that. Yeah, and it's, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it was really that. far away. And I remember Is the night that we came back, like you're there for hours. They're so thorough. Like the procedure was only a couple of seconds, but... You meet um, a lactation consultant there, to, you know, and she watches you feed initially afterwards. And then you actually go to like a, a baby physio and she shows yeah. you oh. how to actually retrain um, the, the sucking method because she was saying that actually babies that have tongue tie have basically been swallowing and kind of sucking their tongue incorrectly from about four months in vitro so you're trying to train them again how to do that um so they give you yeah they give you little exercises to um help them um retrain that like a real thorough assessment that's it's, fantastic it was amazing it was amazing but it was in that kind of first I, I, like it, our first few weeks is such a blur but i think it was about um I'd say Alice was about two weeks when we went up there. And I remember the drive home. So I think our appointment was like at three o'clock. And I'd say we didn't leave till about eight that evening. And we had to drive back from Tipperary. And the weather, it was like, it was apocalyptic. It was, it rained and rained and rained. And even two weeks postpartum, like how long of a drive is that? Oh, it's about, imagine. it's a good three and a half, possibly four hours. Oh. Oh, yeah. wow. Like, could you? No, I just. I know. I be able to do that. <laughs> I know. And I remember getting I back late. We got back from midnight. So, yeah. And yeah, we got back from midnight. So, it was about four hours. And I remember just getting into bed and feeling so overwhelmed from feeding and everything that happened that day. And then thinking, it's not like, you know, pre Alice, you can just go to bed and sleep in like this. You're, you're going to yeah. be back in the clock again in a few hours. Um, but, you know, actually, I found a lot of people were saying to me about the night feeds i did not mind the night feeds and i firmly believe that we used to have to do like we, we routinely done 24 36 hour call even 72 hour calls over the weekend and i found and this is an awful comparison to say but i found with having a baby it was a lot easier and i know that sounds really stupid but when you went to bed for your 36 hour shifts 
you but first of all you probably didn't get to bed for the 36 hours or you would probably just be in bed you might be just dozed off after 10 minutes and then you'd be up again and you'd be up again for the rest of the night with the babies and the feeding once we kind of got into the swing of things you had a feed you kind of put them back down and you had a nice little three hour nap again and then it was feed again and then it was a three hour nap so you kind of knew that you more than likely will get stage sleep and for me i was like that was grand compared to what we used to be doing like in, in the hospitals so you your hospital training really just trains you to be really good at as a like as a mom <laughs> to have slack sleep deprivation <laughs> absolutely sleep deprivation emotional deprivation everything um and your son Cahill has a nut allergy he does and uh lisa i'm gonna like put my hand up this is like uh we still have an Alice's 18 months and I'm so terrified of nuts. As of today, Ben tried to give her peanut butter and she was having none of it. So he was around the house trying to get her to just taste a little bit of peanut butter. um, And she literally just ran away from it. Um, So is she... diagnosed? No, I don't know. No, nothing. I have just created this crazy... um, Oh, you think that... You're worried about it. Oh, totally worried about it. Oh, okay. okay, And then I I was speaking to um, Siobhan Berry of Mummy Cooks. Yes. And she was like, Pamela, what are you doing? Just give it to her. (laughs) So I promised her my mission would be, after talking to her, that we would just tackle the nut allergy. So we've started today, except Alice wouldn't take it. Um, (laughs) So Carl has it. And was it from the weaning process that you figured it out? You will laugh at this now. So, like me, as an emergency doctor, I do not panic. And I don't panic. And I've never really panicked with the kids at all. Um, so I remember giving him, I think it was probably, he was about eight, eight and a half months. We'd done the baby led weaning. So I gave him a bit of toast and peanut butter on it, just tiny little bits. And um, I, he was at the other end of the kitchen. And I went up to get something at the sink. And I remember turning around going, oh, he, his eye looks a bit puffy. But he was munching away, no bother at all. And I came over and as soon as I was kind of coming over, he he kind of looked a little bit like quasi-moto. His eye was kind of puffing out a good bit. And this is the age of the half of a thought. And I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, maybe it's the peanut. Okay, grad, take that away from him. But I was like, no, he has no area difficulty. This is his first exposure. So I'm kind of okay with that. First exposures don't tend to be that bad it's not the second exposure that you tend to okay. get a huge anaphylactic reaction at the true um, allergy so i remember it was a lovely hot day and he was all kind of patchy with the skin and everything and i was going down to my mother-in-law's and she was like is the child sunburned and i was thinking to her what would be better to say that he is sunburned <laughs> or that i'd give him peanut butter because they would go mental at me for doing that like the general public would think oh my god under one years of age why would you do that even one of my friends who's a gp um, and actually done pediatrics for a while she said what is the american guidelines these are not under one that you don't give peanut butter uh, that you don't give peanuts after over one but they've done a huge massive change at a ue on all this yeah so after that with, with Cahill, I found um, an immunologist in the Galway Clinic and I said, fine, Grant, let's just book him in for his testing and get it done and dusted for once and for all to make sure that he's not allergic. Oh, he is allergic. <laughs> he is very allergic. So they do little skin prick tests on him and uh, he's also egg sensitive as well. Now, I'm not using the term allergic because the sensitivity of it is just that he has a sensitive reaction to it. So he will come out with a bit of hives or a bit of spots or he used to. Now he's definitely outgrown that. Um, but he's still allergic to the peanuts so 
Um, I brought him. I've actually brought him back three times to see is he still allergic because you know there is twenty percent that can outgrow it. Um, I know every time he's still quite allergic to it. Now he's very good about it. He will be very much about. I have peanut allergies. Is there anything in that? We're at Centre Parks at the weekend and the lady comes down to us, you know, is there any allergies? And he goes, I'm the allergy. <laughs> I have peanut allergy. So he is very cautious about it. Uh, but yet, there was one day that we were coming home from an uncle's house and uh, I noticed in the back of the car, he was kind of beginning to have that quasi-motor look again about him. And I was like, what did you do, Colin? Did you eat something? Like, we only had digestive biscuits. And he was like, no, mommy, no, no. You know, I didn't eat anything different. And of course, being a good mammy doctor I didn't have any antihistamine in the house um, so I was like sugar I have to go around to Westock quickly to get it so I went around to Westock and in the meantime he said okay I have to tell you mammy I ate some of the dog biscuits oh Jesus <laughs> so dog biscuits have peanut oil or they were based in the peanut oil so that was what he was actually responding to oh my so God. you know I was like do not tell the doctor that <laughs> I was like don't open your mouth let me do the talking because I was like I couldn't bring him around to a doctor at night o'clock and I'd say yeah he had dog biscuits and he's allergic to peanuts uh give me some antihistamine so I thankfully I've never had to use the EpiPen with them uh we do have one for the uh school for, one for the crash because he goes for one day afterwards one for our house as well um and actually they're up at the end of this month so I have to get them redone every year as well they're probably about a year for duration with them. Kuan and Fela, they have no allergies. There's no allergies in the family. Um, I gave them the peanuts, uh, peanut butter before one years of age as well, just to kind of yeah. try them with it. Obviously, I have an EpiPen at the house anyways, on any emergency medicine trade. So, you know, it is no skin off my nose to do it. And I know that I could, I have enough EpiPens to kind of hold me till I could get to the hospital, which is right beside me and all this. So, you know, it's a little bit more okay for me, you know, I, I don't find that I have that fear at all. And the guys are fine. They, they don't have any peanut allergy. So it's just poor little Carl. <laughs> poor Carl. But sure, he's, he's happy out as long as he stays away from the dog biscuits. <laughs> so he'll be grand. Oh, God, that's gas. You just can't keep up with them. Do you know that? No. Um, no. Who would have thought it was the dog biscuit that was going to do it? I know. Um, and talking there about, you know, obviously having the EpiPens in, in various occasions. So after each of the kids, you went back working, returning back from maternity leave. And I suppose for any mum that goes back working, like it's such a challenge. It's, you know, leaving the babies behind and trying to get back into yeah. your own routine, getting your brain working in a different way again. And being in the emergency department, like that's a very mentally and physically draining job, but also it's emotionally challenging like you're dealing with really highly emotive cases, cases. Yeah. yeah so how did you feel coming back off of maternity leave where you're kind of feeling vulnerable anyway and then dealing with all of the cases that were in front of you I think um I was actually looking forward to getting back I do enjoy my job but I know that's kind of like an unwritten rule but I was looking forward to getting back after the maternity leave to get a little bit of Know that people interactions and I do like yeah. the job so say for example with Fela this time around I'm going to, I'm back to Galway so I commute from Ballinat to Galway um, so it's about an hour and 20 each way each day uh, for the first time and I don't know how many years I'm working now about a 40 hour a week between 40 and 50 hours depending sometimes it's 78 got to do with our night shifts but it's more or less a nice working week for me yeah that hour and 20 that I have going to work and coming from work is really a great thing to be able to you know take anything that i have that i went through that day 
either rig Bernard or rig one of my friends to kind of talk it through and just get it out the window, as I just say, before I actually come in the door at home. Uh, there has been obviously very hard cases that we've dealt with. You know, there's, you know, unfortunately cardiac arrest with the kiddies. There's been very hard kid cases. You know, I, I always find the non-accidental injuries very hard to deal with as well, having your own kids at home. But we have a great kind of team in that emergency department in Galway at the moment. We're just, we look out for each other so much. So you could go have your debrief. You know, there are consultants that are available to be able to, for you just to word vomit and kind of get whatever it is out of your system. Um, and dealing with kind of those emotive cases, that's really important. We have other things called Schwartz rounds, which are rounds kind of where the groups of doctors and healthcare professionals come together and talk about a case that might have been a particularly tough one for the department. Um, so we have those kind of outlets that we can go to for these. Uh, but I do find that that little bit of extra travel that I have to and from work helps me to kind of clear my mind and leave it before I come in the door. Give them that extra cut that I tell me if I've had a pretty bad one. Um, you know, just to kind of uh, talk through with Bernard. I don't even care half the time if he's listening to me or not. Yeah. But it's just the physical act of kind of talking, talking through it and talking out loud. And also maybe because he's not medic, he doesn't agree or disagree with me. You know, so I don't put any um, doubt on myself that I could have done this better. I could have done that better. He just listens and agrees with me. You know, he's he's just, he's a great rock to kind of keep that, I keep my mind empty. So that yeah. when it comes to the kids that I'm just full on with them. I don't have to be worried about things in general. And how do you find, like your hours are kind of close to what you know a general full-time working is for you know the 40-hour week if that's the week that yeah. you have within that week um and then how do you manage childcare when you're doing your like you you day shifts and your night shifts yeah well Bernard I'm very lucky Bernard the husband has his own business here in town so he's very flexible in that regard in relation to if there's a sick day for any of the kiddies or anything like that but Cahill goes to the girls school here he is there until about half half one half two he gets dropped then to my mother-in-law's house um who keeps him there until about six o'clock the other two kiddies Kuan and Fela are in the Mulberry Tree Crash Air who they've all the kids have been there since six and a half seven months and they are just amazing they're just a fantastic fantastic crash they're really good they bring them on so well Cahill even though he's six he still has buddies that he was there when he was seven months old they're still really good friends they've gone through kind of schooling together um, and it's brilliant they're really really good I feel so guilty at times that you know I've had to kind of have this passage where I've worked away from home so I've worked in I've lived in Dublin and worked in Dublin while the kids are down here I've lived down in Limerick while the kids are up here um, Cahill definitely remembers me being gone but he's a very good boy like he, he doesn't have any issues with it he just knows that he has to go help the sick people and that's it Kuan doesn't remember be really being away now he's just turned four um, and I hope that he won't remember me because I'm kind of back now and hopefully not going away for too much longer. Fela won't have any memory of it as well. So even though I have that guilt they still have all the love from Bernard, from me on the FaceTime, from the nannies so my mum lives nearby, Bernard's mum lives nearby, my sister lives nearby. There's just such a huge loving support around so they don't feel any impact of it. It's just me I know. that guilt. Yeah. You know, but I'm nearly there, so <laughs> nearly finished. Um, and we all have that. Um, if I'm, I I work four days a week, so I take off Fridays. Um, 
then I feel like Fridays often becomes my job day you know like all those bits and pieces that you can't do if, like, even out, <laughs> even outside of the house you know if you have appointments or yeah. you know you need to pick up anything it's that's my jobs on Friday and yeah. yeah sometimes I'm like I feel like I'm tra- I'm dragging her from A to B and I'm like I'm just looking at her going you don't want to do any of this you want to be at home yeah. coloring or reading books or playing with sand or like you do as yeah. well you want to be there for Netflix I've definitely found you know things like the Tesco online shopping has been really really good for times that you know we really need it my mum works in the local laundrette and I know that that's going to cause envy <laughs> to everybody but you know the laundrette here actually has a pick up and delivery service and it's amazing yeah. it's just so good mum pops in you know if there's a day that I forgot she will load up the wash baskets into the bag and she will do all that now obviously the delivery man wouldn't do that but like so I'm really lucky that I have that sort of support as well I will say you know having rotation through the different hospitals it's not as child friendly as I would like it to be you know I was refused parental leave in Crumlin because I hadn't worked with them for more than six months even though on our traded schemes we have to rotate around the country yeah. um, I had a great experience at St Vincent's Hospital Limerick I wasn't even going to attempt to ask about it and in Galway you know the hours have kind of changed a bit so it's manageable for now but um, I don't think I would be that they would be too keen to give me parental leave anyways yeah. to even get down from that 40 hour week so and this is not just you know for for working moms this is also for dads because there was one of the trainees that came through the scheme as well that had one kitty and his wife had twins that afterwards we had three kitties under three and he had to go to less than full-time training which means that your scheme or your training doubles the length so if you're on a five-year training scheme and you go to less than full-time training for the whole five years it's actually taking you 10 years oh, ex, you know yeah. so it's 10 years in total he never knew about parental leave until i had started to raise the issue i was one of the first trainees in ireland to actually get parental leave which is a real you know yeah. absolute i couldn't believe it I, and i had to go through a union to try and get that case made so there's a lot done but a lot more to do, as the political slogan goes, for females that, well, not just females, but parents that are doctors that are trying to go through training schemes and battle their way through the Irish healthcare system. Yeah, and I have two friends, both in totally different um, professions and and sectors, and both have been refused parental leave as well. Um, One has eventually got it, but her baby is now, very similar to Alice, a year and a half um she got a one she got down to four days a week um so it's still like it's and it's a very hard thing to ask for it's you know you're not you're not asking for it lightly um but it's yeah, it's, it's a pity your that pay cut. you're saying yeah it's fine i don't yeah I don't mind i'm saving you a bit of money but they still want the work done at the end of the day yeah. now you know i really feel that if they're going to make this we always hear about and I can only speak for the doctors part of it, like, you know, the doctors go abroad, people are waiting to kind of later their careers to have babies mm-hmm. because they know that it's just not that friendly of an environment to go through a healthcare system to train as a doctor and get out the other side as a consultant. Yeah. You know, people are foregoing that. People are then, you know, not having relationships, not getting married, not having kids or whatever it is that they do because they just want to get their head down and they know that they just concentrate on the career first and then think about the other side and they'll say, okay, now I'm ready but is your body ready have you met the right person you know so I feel that there definitely has to be a little bit more flexibility in the working system for families yeah this is life this is the way it's changing it's not just going to be 
females anymore. It's going to be the males and the females. And they have to, they have to bend it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just needs, for even just general happiness in the workforce, you know, if, if you've got a life plan or a life ambition of having a family, having kids and stuff and feeling that it's, it's that or your career, you know, that's not a very fair um, kind of, you know, catch 22. Yeah, yeah, for you to have to make. Yeah. It's, and um, I always say before I went on the higher training scheme, which is the SPR to become a consultant, we had a round of interviews. It was very competitive to get in on it. Um, and I remember I had actually already had or secured a job somewhere else. At this point, so I was kind of going in to do the SPR interviews, kind of said, "Oh, look, sure, we'll give it a go, see if I can get it or not." Um, and at one of the stations, it was kind of your CV, your ambitions, your goals, etc. There was an external examiner there, and I was asked, "Where do I see myself in ten years' time?" And I said, "I see myself <laughs> with five kids, celebrating Mayo winning in All Ireland, and working a bit in emergency medicine." And I remember one of the consultants said to me is that your priority i said that's my priority because of those ways or those goals and i was like yeah those goals because i was kind of thinking i have a job anywhere somewhere yeah. else so you know this is the way i am take it or leave it and uh, then i got first in my interviews and specifically it was noted by the external examiner that that this girl just has her ambitions she's not going to be a slave to the system and then this is what she wants now i was on the train back down after those interviews and my consultant rang me he goes was it you <laughs> that mentioned Mayo GAA in an SPR interview? And I was like, yeah. But, um, you know, so that was my goal. Take it or leave it. And I got it. So they've, I've never had any kind of, you know, secret of the fact that I am a mother. I am a doctor and I do lots of other things as well. But my doctor role is kind of secondary. I love I love being a mother. I can't wait to do it all over again. Um, you know, we just like, and I think probably a little bit more people saying that and saying that outright and lifted that secret away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose giving courage as well to others that you can have your career and have your babies yeah. because if, if if no one else is doing it, you're going to feel like it's, a, it's an impossible thing to achieve. Is it, what would you describe is like your parenting style? Like, do you feel that because you're away are you softer on the kids i'm definitely not no <laughs> i'm probably the more structured one definitely bernard is a little bit of a um he's the easygoing one instead uh routine is so important i think just in general in my whole life i have routine and organization i am not a fan of clutter i'm a fan of organization so but like in general just kind of like routine in the morning for them routine in the afternoon sorry the evening times when they're getting ready for bed it just sets them up better you know they know that they're going to read a book say a prayer have a talk about the day and then they're going to bed it might take just 10 or 15 minutes and that's it but that's so important for them to do that uh bernard does say that he's a bit of a walkover he lets them have their treats or whatever and i, I don't mind them having treats but i'm kind of going not every single day would they just say that I have to have a treat you know it has to be and like we enjoy treats ourselves we're by no means that we would have like you know bad on them by any means but you know there's a limit to it as well they still have to have their dinner they still have to have their proper foods etc. yeah i'm very structured um but I, i'm relaxed in a way that if they fall at the yard or anything like that sure you know i'm like get up you're fine if you're crying you're kind of going what are you crying for are you hurt are you injured <laughs> Are you sad? You know, let's talk about it. I did use the naughty step or the came down as I have here, and I found that very good for Kahal. Not so much for Kuan. Uh, Kuan, he's the second child. 
definitely little character. What I found for him is actually taking a toy and putting it on the cave door okay. instead. It was a lot easier for him. You know, different kind of styles like that. Uh, there was a really good parenting course that we done I done um, hair and balladan with that then my public catheter so it just kind of gave you kind of little things to do about uh, like those little tantrums that they have or kind of the saying sorry how to get them to say sorry and it was just really really good so I think I'm a bit chilled I have a bit of structure into them and they're still kids at the end of the day if they're having a tantrum say in the shop or anything like that I will happily or in a restaurant I will happily say do you know what I'll have that to go thank you very much I've given you two warnings go on now we're going and I, I up and leave so they know that when I say it that's it it's over and done with I'll give you an example actually there was one day I remember we were down in Limerick and uh, they came down for the weekend and they were just messing in bed while they were meant to go to bed go to sleep and I came up to them like twice or three times and I said if I have to come up once more I'm going to and I was in my head going oh what are you going to do now and it has to be something you to follow through with and for whatever reason I said come on I'm going to throw you in the bin and I was like thinking to myself okay bit cruel but say nothing walk out the door again so I had to come up to them again uh, like five minutes later and I'd forgotten about what I had said to them and it's all of a sudden they just went really quiet and they hugged each other and they said Please don't throw us in the bin, Mammy. <laughs> and they will always remember. They keep saying back this time that, Mammy, do you remember you said you put us in the bin? I'm like, oh my God, that one time that I couldn't find something to say, they'll remember it and they hung on to it. I'm like, don't say that out loud in front of me. But, but I'll always follow through on, on something with them. Yeah. And not throw them in the bin. <laughs> and there's the three ores that you use the readiness, responsibility, and the repercussions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting them ready. So I always say like that if we're going out to Costa or out to a restaurant, getting them ready for it. So telling them that we're going out here, this is going to a be in a restaurant. You know, we have to sit down. We're not allowed to run around. Let's pick two toys each for you to go out with and play with. Two little toys that we can play with the table. And I just find that prepping them in that way, actually, they just respond so much better for it. The responsibility, this is funny, because Carl definitely now has you know if he loses his gloves or if he loses his hat he's like oh that was my responsibility <laughs> and he's only six it's probably because i said you know this is your responsibility to mind your gloves while you're at school so you know giving them that little bit of a responsibility or even things like when they're out give them a little responsible job to do while they're out and about so making sure that i don't walk into a puddle with failure something stupid like that that they'll really go right okay we have to do something like this first and the repercussions following through with it so like that if they're in the restaurant i've given you your two wardens if i have to give it to you again we're up and out and i would happily can i have that to go please we're gone now bernard sometimes thinks it's a bit cruel but i've only had to do that once or twice and they they get the message yeah they're not going to risk it again no lisa it's yeah. that time i have to ask you three questions and i just don't want our conversation to, to end because i feel like as a first time mom i'm learning so much from you <laughs> i'm like i could talk to you all day um but what would you tell your pregnant self? I would tell my pregnant self to enjoy it even more. Do the, do the yoga, do the reflexology, do your hair, do your bits and pieces that you want. Enjoy that being pregnant feeling. Not everybody gets to be like that, but I definitely had nice pregnancies. I got the lovely voluptuous hair. Just enjoy it a little bit more and not work as hard. Very true and uh what one product could you not live without okay i could not live without eyelash curler sounds really <laughs> stupid i have probably about seven or eight eyelash curlers 
Fela now knows what to do or how to like put the eyelash curler to her eye. Now, obviously, she doesn't use it, but if she catches it in the makeup box, she knows what to do with it, and she's only one. I have two in my car. I have one in my handbag. I have one at work. I like. I need my eyelash curler. That is hilarious. <laughs> I have no eyes otherwise. Like, and just putting on a little bit of mascara doesn't bring them up. I just I need. To. And what has been your magic moment? My magic moment was. So the little story that goes behind this is that I was struggling an awful lot while I was a paediatric doctor in Portlaoise. The hours were really tough. Everything was really, really hard. I was definitely spiraling into depression. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. It was horrendous uh, because of the hours, because of the work conditions. So I remember going into work and I was talking to my husband on the phone and said, you know what, that's it. I actually feel great. I'm going to quit the job today. I'm quitting it. I'm moving home. We hadn't had call at that stage. I was like, we need to, you know, put ourselves mm-hmm. first. And Bernard just said to me, Lisa, would you not just give it one last go? See, will they actually listen to you in relation to the rotas, etc.? You have nothing to lose. Just say to them. And that morning, I did just say to them. But, like, in my own mind, I was gone, you know. So I just said, feck it, I have nothing to lose. Here's the rota that I'm trying to decide. It's up to yourselves if you want to implement it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. They said, right, just give us two weeks. And they changed the rota. And that one magic moment has absolutely changed the way that I put myself first in my job. I have come across quite a lot of difficulties in the job um, and I will, you know, some places might not have liked me being there because I've tried to change things for the better for the NCHDs and for the doctors. Mm -hmm. But it's because of that magic moment going, what have you got to lose? What have you got to gain? I've got everything to gain that makes this better for the people coming after me. What have I got to lose? Probably piss a few people off, but that's okay. I'm cool with that now. You're a tough cookie, Lisa. I am. <laughs> you have to be. You, you have do. to be in emergency medicine anyway. Yeah, um, you do. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to stand up for yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. Absolutely. And I found that out the hard way. You know, there's many ways to skin a cat. You need to know which cat to skin and how to skin it. Ah, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for joining me and having a brilliant chat. It's It's been informative and funny and everything I thought it would be. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Pamela. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening to today's episode of From Mumkind. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review or subscribe. If you would like to send me a message, please email fromunkind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And see you on the next episode of the podcast.